0: Hello, educators and learners, and welcome to the Homeroom with Sal podcasts brought to you by Khan Academy. We're an educational technology nonprofit dedicated to bringing a world-class education to anyone, anywhere. Homeroom with Sal and Khan Academy Ed Talks are hosted by our founder, Sal Khan, and our chief learning officer, Kristin DeCerbo. I'm neither of those people. I'm Kevin Dangor. I'm on the engineering team, and I'm here to introduce today's show. These shows were first shared as live stream videos on our Facebook and YouTube pages as Sal and Kristen interviewed notable folks from around the world of education, technology, finance, entertainment, and more. We've taken some of our favorite conversations from the live show and turned them into a podcast. Without further ado, here is the latest episode.
1: Hello and welcome to Ed Talks with Khan Academy. I am Kristin DeServo, the Chief Learning Officer at Khan Academy, and I am excited today to talk to Mike Flanagan, the CEO of the Mastery Transcript Consortium. We'll find out what that is and what it means for mastery learning to have such, a, such an organization. Mike Flanagan,
2: welcome. Greetings. Delighted to be here.
1: Excellent. So. I will start from the beginning. You're the, the CEO of Mastery Transcript Consortium. I bet when you were a kid, that wasn't quite what you said you wanted to be when you grew up. What has what, what your career trajectory been like to bring you here?
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. I, I, it would be a really interesting kind of toddler walking around being like, I want to lead a nonprofit association of, of schools. Um, yeah, I, uh, so I uh, started my career as an English teacher. Uh, I taught at an independent school in Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, and I taught there for three years, and it was about as cool as it sounds. Uh, It was really great. Uh, And I moved from teaching into starting down the path of academia, and then I did a pivot and I wound up in technology. And uh, I actually wound up doing a bunch of startup companies, both with some college classmates, uh, college classmate of mine and uh, other friends along the way. And then things came full circle where uh, I've now sort of wound up in this role that is a really interesting hybrid of of teaching and pedagogy and schools and technology. And uh, yeah, it's it wasn't uh, a linear path, uh, but it, it's one that landed me here and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. And I think that idea of, you know, non-linear paths is actually probably a pretty good fit for a lot of the things we think about in terms of our schools and, and the way we try and serve kids.
1: That totally makes sense. And I always say the path, my career path, I can tell the story looking backwards. It makes sense. But at yeah. any given point, it seemed like I was making some left turns or some some weird shifts. Yeah. <laughs> so it's also teacher appreciation week this week. So before we get started talking about your, your work, are there any teachers that you'd like to recognize from your paths?
2: Yeah, I, I grew up and I was in high school. I, I was just, um, I loved school, right? I was, it was my happy place, but I was very much a STEM kid. And so uh, my high school science teacher, Mr. Ezekiel, who taught me AP chemistry, and uh, gave me, uh, probably started me on the road to teaching uh, when it was time for us to get ready for the AP. He he broke the textbook into different chunks and had each of us, kind of gave us responsibility to teach one and he gave me organic chemistry and uh, the light bulb went on. I realized like, oh, I loved, I was so much more comfortable, confident that I really had owned the material because I had to explain it to somebody else. Like that sense of how do you step out of yourself and really figure out how to make this make sense to other people. Um, That light bulb really went on for me in a lot of different ways. So Mr. Ezekiel, if you're out there, uh, thank you.
1: (laughs) Awesome, excellent. So let's talk Mastery Transcript Consortium. What is that? Tell us what it is and what you do.
2: Yeah, so we're a nonprofit, and what we really are is a collection of innovative schools. Uh, We've got a network of just about 400 high schools, mostly here in the US, some international. And what our schools have in common is the concept of mastery learning. And we will unpack mastery learning, I'm sure, throughout this discussion, what it is and what it means. Uh, But really at its core, it's uh, it's an embrace of real learner-centered pedagogy and a rethinking of assessment that's really centered on the idea, which shouldn't be radical, but kind of is, that all children are capable of learning, right? And it's our job as school leaders and system leaders to create structures and supports to make sure that they're all doing the work and really mastering this material at the highest level. Um, What happens, and this is where things get interesting, this is where the transcript comes in and also the consortium, is that if you lead a really innovative school and you're adopting a whole bunch of the models that we'll talk about throughout this discussion, you're gonna basically stop producing a lot of the metrics that we think of High school. So if you're giving credit based on mastery, proficiency, it's a really important tenet of mastery learning. The basic idea is like, hey, don't give credit based on the number of hours students have been exposed to a subject. Give them credit when they've actually nailed it. Some students will do it more quickly, some will need more time. But once you do that, you're not giving credit based on the Carnegie unit anymore. You're not giving credit based on credit hours. Um, when you think about the way we assess students, like it's just sort of normal traditional grading kind of assumes that. Kids will be distributed on a curve. Some kids are good at school, some kids are not. Um, Mastery learning rejects that principle. We basically say, no, all kids are capable of learning. Some will learn faster than others, and that's fine. Uh, but they can all be really proficient, you know, and some will even be advanced. And in that kind of model, like what is a C minus? Like a C minus doesn't even exist anymore in those models. So you take those two things: credit hours, traditional grades. You put those kind of on in the parking lot. And then you also take this idea of like, what is school? What should kids be learning? Um, and traditional transcripts really think about classic academic subjects, English, math, science, social studies. So there's nothing wrong with those things, they're great. Um, but there's a lot more that we want kids to learn and be excellent at, particularly if we're gonna prepare them for a really interesting and maybe volatile and uncertain future. We wanna give them 21st century skills. We want them to give a, have opportunities to do deep interdisciplinary learning. Um, There's literally no place to capture those kinds of 21st century competencies in a traditional transcript. So what you have is this really uh, odd phenomenon where schools that are in some ways being the best possible school that brain science says you can design is now producing kids with student records that don't make any sense to college because college is used to thinking about credits, grades, and the classic academic disciplines. That's a big issue. Um, you know, I'm, as a parent, as an educator, um, I think these schools are awesome. I want as many of them as possible to grow and, and kind of you know, propagate around the country. I want every kid to be able to have access to one. But if the message is, oh, you can go to this really innovative school, but you might not get into college because you look different, that's not going to be good for adoption. Like, so um, college is not the only or most, even the most important destination, But it's definitely a blocking issue Uh, if if we cannot show that these innovative schools can still give kids access to kind of higher ed campuses um, that's going to be bad for us as kind of system change agents and so that's what the transcript is designed to do it's a it's a translation tool um, that takes the models that our schools have and we through our best effort (laughs) presents them to higher ed in a way that's interactive usable and hopefully makes a lot of sense and helps them understand sort of where um, these K-12 schools are headed.
1: Got it. That makes sense. So to unpack some of that, let's start with the the pedagogy and the mastery learning piece. So part of the reason we wanted to, I wanted to talk to you is because Khan Academy also really believes in that idea of it's, it's okay to fail your first attempt. It's not about what score you get on one attempt. It's about reaching a high level of proficiency on a skill and how you get there. Um, What are some of the things that you see as uh, foundational for mastery learning and some of the key tenets?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, there's foundational, and then there's also sort of what becomes possible, right? So foundational is definitely this idea of um, students progress when they've mastered a particular skill and not before. And if you're going to do that, that necessitates a more personalized approach, right? You can't have kids learning at different rates and then expect them all to, you know, moving lockstep. They're they're just, you know, fundamentally, it doesn't doesn't compute. Uh, So that has implications for your school day, your school schedule. Uh, It implies certain kinds of technologies to kind of reduce the administrative burden on school leaders and faculty. Um, But at the end of the day, personalized approach is really key. Uh, Thinking about those cross-disciplinary 21st century competencies and skills Finding ways of recentering those into what kids do, and, and sort of and giving helping them understand that a lot of things that used to be tacit in school, right? Like, what does it mean to be a good leader? Uh, what does it mean to really affect uh, collaborate effectively on a team? What does it mean to, like to be creative or to solve problems creatively? Those aren't like intangible things; they can be taught. You know, you can describe to, you know, a pretty high level of precision, like what good performance looks like in those things. And if you start a process of exposing kids to those things as early as eighth, ninth grade, there's no reason why they all can't kind of get to really high levels of performance by the time they leave high school, as opposed to sort of focusing on your academic subjects and hoping they sort of pick up that stuff along the way. Um, so those two things, 21st century skills that are cross-disciplinary, credit based on proficiency, not seat time. Those are the, kind of the essentials. And then what becomes possible is a lot of opportunities to have kids engage in deeper, more purpose-driven learning. So if you have students, if they're given more choice, right, because they're on a more personalized approach, and they're not wedded to studying the same things as all their classmates at the same time, then there's no reason they can't do more project-based learning, do long-form capstones or independent studies. You'll hear me use the word we a lot in these discussions, because we've got this amazing network of schools, right? And they're you know, private schools, public schools, districts, there's rural, urban, big, small, it's, a, it's amazing kind mm-hmm. of really heterogeneous group. And that's a good thing. But a lot of them have kids doing project and problem-based learning, either individually or in teams. They're giving, having kids solve real world problems. Not like cookbook science like you would do like kind of in, in lab where it's like, oh, we're gonna measure, you know, we drop something and see how long it takes to fall. Well, surprise, like gravity's constant. We kind of know how long it's gonna take to fall. Um, we're gonna have them solve messy problems, right? Um, there's a reason a lot of our schools embrace things like design thinking and entrepreneurship. It's not just because they're hip, it's because they're cyclical. They sort of assume a certain amount of iteration, like try, test, iterate, repeat, adjust. Um, those sorts of things, um, you know, we think are really powerful because they create that space to fail in a constructive environment, right? To, that it's okay not to be right. Your first attempt is not always going to be your best one. So, those are, sort I of think, are sort of like that combination of things that are essential to mastery learning and things that sort of become possible and pretty exciting and, and frankly, more interesting for students. Um, you know, we, we, Um, talk a lot about the mission of mastery you know transcript schools well really all schools i think is to prepare young adults for what they want to do next Um, whether it's college whether it's career whether it's kind of something in between what i think is really interesting is that for many kids in traditional schools the hardest word in that sentence is want what do you want to do next we don't ask kids what they want to do very often in traditional schools we tell them what to do And as a result, they internalize this message that to be a student, like to be a learner, is to kind of show up and do what you're told. Uh, And then we launch them into the world. Hopefully we want them to be successful. And it turns out that's not the way the world works. Like you have to figure out what you're going to do specifically. So, yeah, that's sort of uh, that's like the opening. It feels like one
1: of those 21st century skills is actually learning how to learn and being an owner of your own learning and yeah. yeah, knowing how to set goals for yourself and see, monitor if you're on track and doing all yeah. of those kinds of things to understand how to learn.
2: Yeah, I think we, we started like phase one of MTC was very much focused on showing that kids could get into college without these traditional metrics, right? Um, and one of the reasons we've been really successful, um, even with a small number of schools that have fully adopted our transcript, we've gotten kids into 250 colleges and universities, some of the most selective and also open enrollment, two-year technical programs, everything in between. Um, but I'm always really quick to tell people it's not actually because of the transcript. Right? The transcript is not does not give you an advantage in getting into MIT or to Caltech. But going to a mastery learning-based school like one in which you're encouraged throughout four years to like really do deep work, like to think about it, reflect on that work with an adult in your life, maybe write something about it, maybe present it to a group, uh, and then make a decision about what you want to do next with that. Maybe it's iterate, maybe it's revise it, maybe it's going in a different direction, try something new. If you do that cycle really purposefully and with a lot of feedback and, and coaching, by the time you get out the other end like your metacognitive skills what you just said chris like learning how to learn they are absolutely super powered and so when you talk to our kids our kids you know the kids that go to these schools um they just make amazing applicants whether they're applying for an internship or a job or applying to college um because they've got real authentic answers to some of these essential questions like what do you want to do if, if we Give you a slot at this campus, right, where you could do any sorts of things, major in all kinds of different subjects, and study with some of the world's best experts. What are you going to do here? What will you do to take advantage of it? If we give you an internship at our company, um, you know, what, what can, how can you contribute? What are some things that are interesting? Like, why do you want to work here versus somewhere else? they have those answers uh, because it's not the first time they've been asked those kinds of really deep questions about what they're doing and why. And that for for us is that metacognitive move, uh, learning how to learn that you described.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's paint a picture then. If you don't have take a test, get a grade, what does it look like to be able to demonstrate that you have these skills?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you know our schools still have tests, right? Like, I, I don't want to you know paint a utopian picture where our kids like never look at anything that looks like an exam. Um, you still need like academic content, and there's a place for that. But I do think that what you'll see in much more often is much less focus on um, kind of high stakes assessment, um, and much more judicious use of that, and much more focus on feedback, right? On so what we want to do is have students really engaged in real work and then have them giving feedback to one another teaching them how to give feedback in a constructive way like that's a pretty important skill it's a life skill you know i think we've all unfortunately had experiences where we've worked with people who maybe didn't have that skill didn't know how to give constructive feedback and like that's not like a recipe for like awesome performance Um, so helping kids you know get real feedback both from one another and from adults uh, and then you know, creating really clear structures for what they're being assessed against. So I think one of the things that um, every single one of our schools, in fact, I would say like you really, you can't use the mastery transcript or really any competency-based transcript unless you as a school, as a learning organization, have a really, really good portrait of a graduate, right? And so portrait of a graduate for us is the term of art for a really well-designed set of competencies And ideally what they've been, uh, they've been created sort of in a backwards design process, right? You ask yourself the essential question of what do we want our kids to be able to do by the time they leave our campus, right? What do we want them to be able to do by the time they cross the stage and and grab that diploma? And so for us, that portrait of a graduate um, is really the, the cornerstone to that because every single one of those competencies in turn should have really clear descriptions, like you know, with a lot of Bloom's taxonomy language about you know, what those demonstrated behaviors look like. Um, one of the real challenges of traditional grading is that sometimes students don't actually really know what they're being graded on. Uh, and so I think one of the advantages of so-called standards-based grading, right? if you look at the work that Joe Feldman has done in grading for equity, um, it's this idea that, oh, these things have to be super explicit. Everyone should know on day one, what good looks like. And when you see it spelled out that way, you realize how often that isn't true sometimes in traditional grading environments. The other thing is that you should really be assessing sort of what is essential to the school environment, like the learning, as opposed to things like behavior and compliance. Um, There's a lot of like traditional grading models that sort of blur the line between classroom management and actually measuring what kids can actually do and what they're actually learning. Uh, And it's really important to stay, we think really squarely on one side or the other. Uh, And then lastly, I think the, um, you know, so standards based grading is great, but it is the beginning of kind of a school evolution process. True mastery learning is, uh, if you think about it as a Venn diagram, standards based grading is a smaller circle and mastery based assessment is in a larger circle around it.
1: Got it. That makes sense. Um, So lots of questions, but we do have a question um, coming in asking about, for the average teacher who's maybe in a traditional school but wants to begin yeah, yeah. doing some of this, um, how can they how can they bring some of these ideas into their current practice when maybe the system isn't quite set up for the doing it yet?
2: Yeah, I, and I think I really appreciate whoever asked that question because it's really important to take a step back, and if you like well why do we even have or why do we even need a mastery transcript consortium? Like why not just like have teachers start to do this? It's that the system change is really hard. We right? we have to change both like our policies in our 50 states. We have to change the technologies that our teachers and administrators and learners have access to. Um, and so, one of the reasons we're a nonprofit and trying to drive system change over time is because we know that this is a long road. Like, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, and we're really glad to have so many allies in the space, right? We're part of a, a much larger and really vibrant ecosystem of, of nonprofit players that are all working on kind of competency based education and personalized learning and, and mastery based assessment and kind of all pulling schools, we think, in a good direction. That said, if you are a teacher and you are out on an island, right, you're the only person at your school like theoretically, who is interested in rethinking grading and assessment, there are things you can do. Um, Contract-based grading is a model that is most mastery-like, I think, given the, you know, if you are uh, in the confines of a traditional uh, classroom and a traditional schedule. Mm -hmm. So you don't have autonomy necessarily over how long your class is going to run or maybe even like what your kids are studying. What you can do is... On day one, be really clear with students about what the standards are for them to achieve, say, a B or an A. uh, And then work with them throughout the year to help them understand where they are in terms of getting it uh, and then giving them space. uh, And this is a real key principle of sort of standards based grading and grading for equity, giving them space to retake and retry kind of high stakes assessments, whether they're big projects or, or tests. Um, and there's a really a, a amazing array of literature on that. And, and MTC is like, does not own that space, right? If you go to, um, you know, just even on social media, there are incredible networks of teachers self organizing around teachers going gradeless, uh, the ungrading movement. Uh, there is a real groundswell of educators who realize, like, oh, we've gotten ourselves into a situation where the thing that is supposed to measure learning, which is assessment, grading, has now kind of in a weird way looped back where it's actually pulling and pushing against learning. Uh, And I don't think anybody ever designed, you know, wanted that to be the case. Like I think we should all agree that like our assessments should help kids learn, not push against them. Uh, And I think there's growing recognition around that and a lot of resources available.
1: Yeah, yeah, excellent, thank you. So I know um, I'm also on the board of the Khan Lab School who's been one of the uh, original users of this and I, when I first saw that the transcript itself I was like, oh, this is amazing. Can you share with us a little bit about just what a transcript looks like? In,
2: in yeah, we, and it? so I will just say we, we are very lucky to have a very simple URL, it's mastery.org. So if you wanna kind of learn more about what that transcript looks like and see a, a version of it. Um, at the core, a mastery transcript is a visualization of a school's competency model. Um, and we spent a lot of time, before we even built the sketched the first transcript system, uh, we spent a lot of time talking to higher education. Um, our team, we're really lucky, we're able to kind of sign some confidentiality agreements and actually sit in admissions offices and listen as the readers were looking at actual student folders. And what you realize is that even though the, organiz- this, the colleges vary quite a lot, there's sort of a workflow of what they're looking for. The, the first question they always have is, what is this school? Like, what is this program like? I wanna understand the context of where this applicant has done their high school work. And so traditionally they might look at a school profile, they might then look back at the transcript and might then look, look try and cross-reference. So for us, the front page of the mastery transcript is a visualization of that school's competencies. And by looking at it, you can instantly tell if we've done our job right, like what that shape of the school is, right? You can see like, this is okay. where they spend the most time. We're really big believers that students, learners in mastery based schools should develop what we call like a jagged profile, right? So if you give kids time and space to go deep in things they really care about, they'll go in different directions. That's a good thing. That's a feature, like not a bug. Um, and so schools can have jagged profiles as well. And so we want those to literally pop off the page. The second thing you'll look at then is that jagged profile, the competencies, for the student in particular. If every student who got the diploma earned these over here, then individual students will go in different directions. And we have a separate section that visualizes that. Uh, we call them sort of advanced competencies or advanced mastery credits. Um, and so in um, that space is really where we can start to help colleges do what they say they wanna do, which is match their applicants based on fit to the programs they're applying to and the campuses that they're applying to. Um, and so if you have students who say that, you know, they're applying to a nursing program, right, you're going to look for some STEM background, but you're also going to look, for, ideally, I would think, for some kind of service orientation. So that student has started to do some things that show like, yeah, they really care about other people. They want to spend their time, like maybe it's volunteer work, maybe it's caring for siblings. Um, but making moves, choices in their life that show that you know they've got an orientation towards helping other people out. That's a pretty big predictor uh, whether he or she is going to be successful in, in a nursing environment. So I think that's really important. And so that's and you can imagine other examples like that you know so um, you know what the, uh, that fit between where the student has chosen to go deep and what they say they care about and what they want to go deeply in in college uh, if you, you when you see that alignment, it helps you sort of uh, kind of, identify that and it clicks really quickly in ways that honestly traditional transcripts don't. Um, One of the strange things about a traditional schooling model is that as students get more successful quote unquote in school, their transcripts actually start to look really similar. They're all taking the same AP classes or honors classes. They're all getting kind of 4.0 grades. And so the thing that is most important, the thing that's supposed to capture like four years of high school actually doesn't tell you much at all about what makes them unique or different and so that's one of the problems that we tried to lean into pretty hard
1: that totally makes sense and so what's been the reaction from the colleges and universities that have gotten these transcripts
2: so um what i always kind of say our our, um our reach has been limited but our uptake has been really good and here's what i mean um there were a, a million distinct applications that got processed through the common application last season, right? So we have a lot of work in front of us to, you know, if we want 1%- <laughs> That's a big number. <laughs> 10,000 Mastery Transcripts out there. Uh, and so if you were to go to a any, pick a random uh, folder reader, if you will, an admissions officer at a campus, hey, have you, have you seen a Mastery Transcript? Statistically, almost certainly they're gonna be like, nope, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. But for the schools that got a Mastery Transcript, we've got a really good track record of getting in front of those proactively and talking to schools, coll- uh, college readers, uh, about that experience. Uh, and you, you know, it's pretty obvious, right? If I call you in the abstract and say, would you like to do a focus group about this strange alternative transcript? You're like, no, nah, I don't think so. But if I call you and say, hey, by the way, this is arriving, like in two weeks. Right. Would you like an <laughs> orientation to it? Or more importantly, would you like to give us feedback when you're done? There, I think we've got a really good sort of kind of uptake there. I think it also helps too that when we started this work, I think there were a lot of high school, excuse me, college readers who, the concept of competency-based or mastery-based education seemed a little bit abstract. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And frankly, they were working in institutions that have decades of institutional research data and systems that use GPA and things like SAT and ACT to pretty good effect, at least to do what they want them to do. Um, Nobody was asking us for change. Like nobody came to us and said, hey, MTC, can you please give us an alternately, you know, completely different way of doing our work? Um, However, what's happened in the past couple of years, right? Well, we've had a global pandemic. Uh, Many institutions have gotten completely moved away from standardized testing. Um, Because of the pandemic, we've had a lot of kids who applied to college two years ago with pass-fail transcripts from otherwise traditional high schools. Uh, We've got a lot of kids who, may not have had access to the remote school, hybrid school offerings that their local district schools were offering them. And so you've got a lot of folks who previously were pretty content with like the status quo, who suddenly now are kind of snapped to attention. Standardized testing is changing. The concept of credit based on seat time is changing. If as many higher ed leaders do believe that equity is really critical to college admissions, like understanding that access to education has been really inequitable during a pandemic. All of these things we think kind of line up in favor of us as a sector. I mean, that like the K-12 sector, moving towards more mastery-based, competency-based approaches in a way that um, obviously the past two years have been horrible, like at, at a national level <laughs> uh, for a pandemic. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but it definitely has changed and accelerated the way really key stakeholders are now thinking about a lot of the stuff we're talking about.
1: Yeah, so let's let's go to a couple of questions from Facebook. Rebecca says, where can you find high schools that are using a mastery curriculum? Do you, uh, does mastery.org have a list of those? Where can folks look?
2: We definitely have a list. Every school that's part of the MTC membership is listed publicly on our website. And I really wanna be clear about this. We are not, There are many amazing mastery-based schools that that are part of our network and those schools are awesome too. So I'll give a shout out to the Big Picture Learning Network, uh, which is a network of amazing schools that are really innovating uh, and, and really pushing really hard on thinking about what schooling looks like and how we serve kids. Um, there are There's an organization called the Aurora Institute that publishes a map uh, and updates it. I think updates it quarterly, but definitely several times a year. Uh, and they show you sort of what is the state of competency-based education in each of the 50 states. Uh, and it shows you that there are some states that are like, they're going all in. They're basically saying, well, we're gonna go personalized, competency-based across the entire state. And it's really interesting because um, In a world in which so much of our educational practices and discourse have gotten really politicized, there is no correlation to the politics of a state and its adoption of competency-based education or mastery-based education. Um, It's like, um, it, it makes for strange bedfellows in a really good way. There are some folks who are saying, hey, this is a key driver for equity. It's about serving communities of kids who have been traditionally underserved by our systems. We need to do better by those kids. And there's also a model that says, we really are focused on business. We're focused on the 21st century and being a place where kids can graduate and get amazing you know, technology-based manufacturing jobs. And we wanna give them the skills for that. And what's really interesting is then you wind up in the same place. They all wind up talking together about mastery-based learning, which I think is pretty great.
1: Yeah, that's great. And leads actually to Brian from Facebook's question of what are the challenges involved in partnering with public schools?
2: Well, it depends on the public schools. So, so the um, the challenge and the greatest strength and liability of our national education system is that we have a massively decentralized system, right? Sometimes that's awesome. It gives re- you know districts, even individual schools in districts, a lot of autonomy to experiment. We, I think, we exist largely as a consortium because there's these lighthouse districts, right, led by a really inspira- you know inspirational leader who says we're going to do things different. We're not gonna wait for permission from our state and they need a network. And so they come and join us, which is great. Um, but then there's also um, states where you know the policies are just not favorable. Like if you are trying to transform your district and you wanna embrace credit based on proficiency uh, rather than on seat time, It's not gonna help if the law says kids have to take X hours of social studies in order to graduate. You need someone to give you permission to do that. Uh, And so those are probably the biggest challenges. It's not challenges specific to public schools as public schools. It's um, differing rates of adoption of favorable policy frameworks in different states and localities. And again, sometimes that works in your favor. Sometimes there'll be states, um, Utah, South Carolina, there's a lot of interest in Kentucky right now where um, they'll create really favorable policy frameworks and provide funding. And then, you know, it can be off to the races.
1: Fantastic. It is. We are already 30 minutes in and are at time quickly. It sounds like the, the work you're doing both really unblocks one of the big, um, you know, concerns or objections that folks have, which is, oh, if we do this, how are we going to be able to get students into college and where those is, which just sounds like one of those pieces. Um, I'm gonna end on one more question that came from YouTube. Nasser Grunono says, what are all those metal for?" medals for?
2: So they are, thank you, Nasser, out there. Uh, so uh, they, are, they are, none of them is a victory medal. And I think that's really important and, and hopefully on brand for what I'm talking about. Like we're, we're not against, we're, 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 we're an anti-sorting organization. They're finishers medals for different races of different lengths and different types. And I keep them up there because I think they're a pretty good uh, kind of metaphor or analogy for grading based on mastery. Uh, If you finish, even if it takes you a little bit longer, you still get that. And if you get a wide enough array of them uh, for different lengths and different events, it starts to tell a story uh, of what you can do. And, uh, you know, so I keep them up there as a kind of reminder of what what we're trying to do. Give kids evidence that even if it takes them a little bit longer to get to proficiency or mastery in certain areas, um, as long as they got there, it's good.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much for the work you're doing and look forward to seeing more from the Mastery Transcript Consortium. Thanks for being with us today.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a delight. If you want to hear more of Homeroom with Sal or Khan Academy Ed Talks, subscribe to this podcast and tell a friend. If you want to support the work we do here at Khan Academy, visit khanacademy.org donate. We're a nonprofit and we appreciate your financial support in making sure that our materials can reach as many learners as possible. That's khanacademy.org donate. That's our podcast, folks. Your hosts are Sal Khan and Kristen Deserbo. This show is produced by our wonderful Khan Academy team, Stephanie Yamkovenko, Dan Tu, Irene Wang, Anthony Nelson, Felipe Escamilla, Irene Chen, David Reinstrom, and me, Kevin Dangor. Our intro theme is Time Flux by Revolution Void. Our outro theme is Onward by Paddington Bear.